Hi, I'm Rachel, and this is Get to Know You. I'm here with Dr. Ashton Trice today. Do you want to say hi? Hi. (laughs) And then we're going to just talk a little bit about his life and how we got to where he is. So my first question for you is, where did you grow up? Well, I, I was born in Charlottesville while my dad was finishing his Ph.D., and uh, he actually ended up moving to Stanton, Virginia, which isn't very far from here, and it's not very far from Charlottesville. And he did that for, he thought, one year. Uh, so that while he was also finishing his uh, his dissertation, he could... Uh, he could get some experience teaching. He, he actually had a job elsewhere, um, but he decided to stay close to Charlottesville so he could finish up his dissertation. And he actually liked uh, teaching at a small college rather than a big university, and so he stayed for 37 years. And when he retired, I took his job. You did? Yeah. <laughs> so where did you go to college and what did you major in? Uh, okay, so I went to uh, Davidson College in North Carolina, and uh, I majored in music. And uh, particularly, I majored in in composition because I wanted to be a person who wrote music for the movies. That was my goal. So, speaking of that, what was your five-year plan after college, if you had one? Well, I was going, my first thought was to go to graduate school. Um, but, but then I thought that maybe I would really rather see what it was like to be a composer. And, and so I, um, <laughs> my, professor, my composition teacher uh, was a very disorganized man. And he got lots of offers to write music, but it took him so long to write music that he, he took very few of those possible commissions. So he said if I stayed around, he would throw some of them my way. And so I did that for a year. And after a year, after a year, I decided that wasn't what I, how I wanted to live. So my first thought was I would try, I guess five-year plan was, try this out, see if I liked it, and then go to graduate school uh, for it. But since I tried it out and I didn't like it, then I really had to revise my uh, mm-hmm. uh, five-year plan. So... How did you get to the job that you're at now? Or how did you get, because you've now become a school, like you were a school psychologist, and now you're teaching here at JMU. Well, I'm actually not a school psychologist. I'm an educational psychologist, and there's a a small difference. I'm not licensed to work in the school. Oh, yeah, I remember you telling us that in class. Um, But uh, I'm sort of the research end of of, of that. Um, How did I do this? Uh, well, I, I had, I had this really, my backup plan was I would teach. I mean, all, my, my father was a teacher. I always thought that was a great job. My father was a teacher at, at college and that's what I thought eventually I would do. And, 
the, the so I decided, well, I will teach, and um, I was also an, I was also an English major, so it seemed to me that there was a more of a demand for English teachers. So I went back to get certified to be an English teacher. Went back to college, um, and sort of a long story short, along the way, I took a course in educational psychology, and. English wasn't exactly what I wanted to teach, and music wasn't exactly what I wanted to teach, but I liked the idea of teaching teachers. So that, that, that's what I ended up uh, deciding I wanted to do. And I talked to my professor of educational psychology, and I said, I, I want to go uh, study this. And he said, he, he gave me some very strong advice, and he said, before you do that, you should spend five years teaching. Um, not teaching college, but if you're going to te train teachers, you should have some experience in elementary school, you should have some experience in secondary school, and you should have some experience with, with uh, special education. So I taught uh, kindergarten for a year, uh, two years, and I taught English for a year, and I taught special ed uh, for two years. So I did the five years worth of teaching, and, and then and then I went to graduate school. Did that five years feel really long? I feel like if I was told on my way that you have to take a step back and wait five years, I'd be kind of nervous about that five years. Well, maybe maybe one of the things that I could have that I could think about is my father was a psychology professor. And, but as an undergraduate, he was a chemistry major. And uh, like me, he took one course in psychology as an undergraduate. And um, dad had another thing that interfered with him for five years, and that was called World War II. <laughs> so, you know, he told me, you know, going back to school when you're 25, 27 isn't, isn't all that terrible. Mm -hmm. I mean, a thirty-seven-year career uh, teaching. I, I had about a twenty. No, I had about a thirty-eight-year career teaching. I'm, you, you know, if, so if you start at twenty-five as opposed to twenty, it, it, it's not that. It's not that big of a deal. I feel like that's one of the hard things today because it's kind of like that hustle culture where it's kind of like you always have to be working. I feel like time feels so precious and I feel like even after like I always feel like time's so precious then two years later you're like I could have done that course or I could have done this thing and I think that's one of the hard things is people to slow down and actually think okay if I do this internship it'll actually help me in my career rather than wasting time when I could be getting paid well if if, if you hustle through and end up with something you don't want to do that's a big waste of time, mm -hmm. you know. So I, I think it, it makes a lot of sense to to take your time and consider your options and things like that. Now, there's some things today that make that very difficult. The financial aid rules are, are, are designed so that people don't freeload off the government. But but sometimes people want to be a little bit more leisurely. They're not really freeloading. Mm -hmm. They're 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 
You want some time to make your decisions. When I, when I went to UVA, there really was a, for, for graduate school, there really was a guy who had been there for almost 40 years. Oh, wow. Because his grandfather's will said that he had all this money until he finished his bachelor's degree, <laughs> and he kept, he, he had been through like, 20 majors. <laughs> <laughs> oh so there gosh. are people who free love, mm-hmm. yeah, you, you know, um, but, uh, uh, you know, I do, I, I do think taking your time, um, I, I guess over the last couple of years, I've had three dozen students ask me, is it a bad thing to take a gap year between undergraduate and graduate school? And, and I'm like, no, <laughs> no, that's, that that's a great thing to do. I mean, it, it, <clears throat> I was in the school psych program for uh, a long time, and <clears throat> excuse me. Schools are very peculiar and particular environments, and they're not for everybody. You know, you get up and you function very early in the morning. <clears throat> And you have layers and layers and layers of bosses. And um, there are lots of rules and regulations and laws and all that sort of thing. And that just doesn't fit for everybody. And so I think it's great for, I would say to people who were thinking about school psychology, go work in a school for a year. And you'll know whether or not I mean, you probably know after the first week whether it's it's right for you if it, if you feel like that's mm-hmm. you, you know and 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 you know most psych majors like kids, but but you may not want fifteen hundred of them, uh, and 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 sometimes you know those of us who are sort of in the mental health business. Um, there are a lot of people who like happy kids, and and they they're really distressed by unhappy kids. So it's it's not it's not a job that's for everybody. Mm-hmm. So I think you know finding out a little bit more about a job and your reaction to it is uh, is certainly something that's that's worth doing. So gap years I think are are, are good. Yeah. Um, I'm not maybe maybe as in favor of the gap year of like go do alpine skiing <laughs> for a year but uh, mm-hmm. but but even that makes a certain you know it makes a certain amount of sense you know, right just, and even 30 years in the future you're not going to look back and be like i wish that i started a year earlier you know you'll remember that time when you went alpine skiing and maybe you were free away from some other other things that made you feel kind of like bound to where you were and it can like kind of maybe give you that a different type of education that school didn't give you right like you're alone in the mountains and you're like traveling through Europe, you might understand things a little differently than if you just went straight into the workforce. And, and sometimes just bizarre things happen. I had, mm-hmm. had a, um, I have a friend who is uh, a, bit, a bit younger than I am, and she decided somewhere along the line, uh, she, she grew up here in Harrisonburg, and when she went to kindergarten, she was in a bilingual class. And so from kindergarten, through college, every single year she took Spanish. And so she's 
pretty close to being a native Spanish speaker. And she's getting she was getting ready to go to medical school. And, and she decided, I'm going to take a year off. And I'm going to go to Spain. And I'm going to really work on getting to be a Spanish speaker like I was a native Spanish speaker and, and, and all that sort of stuff. And, I, you know, uh, I, she met her husband and she actually went to a, a Spanish medical school. <laughs> wow. So, so sometimes these little... <clears throat> uh, Things that maybe Your detours yeah. are, turn out not to be detours at all, but but actually part of the plan. Of the, I was talking to one of my friends, one of my roommates, about this because she um, has been like trying to get into grad schools and was facing a few rejections, and she was getting stressed out. And I was like, "What if the plan is you go home, you work, you find this, you you have this whole community at this job you find, and then you find an in at this other call, like you know, the detour might be part of the plan." And sometimes I feel like it feels like the detour is really, you're, it's stressful to take the detour, but yeah. sometimes. Well, you, you know, very specifically um, uh, about graduate school, I, I, I think so many students, when they left high school and went to college, they never considered the possibility they wouldn't get in anywhere. And and they they got in and they've done real well and they apply to graduate school and they don't get in the first time they, they do it. And, and I, I've just seen so many capable students just go like, well, it's not in the cards. But but you're right, you know, it's you can't imagine I mean I've been on the other side of accepting people into graduate schools. Uh and, you know, a person who has one-year experience is so much more desirable than a person who is straight out of college. And, you know, particularly if you're choosing uh, an area like, well, I want to work in the schools, but I haven't ever even done student teaching, like a lot of psych majors, you know. I've never worked a day in the school. I've never been on the other side of the desk, ever. And and if if you're in graduate if you're a graduate professor you kind of go like this person could come in and after their first week in the public school they could say I don't want to do this so we often have very capable we often would have very capable students who we would decide to reject because they just needed to have a little bit of of experience uh, just to be just to be sure that they had that commitment and or maybe it's not even that commitment it's the desire to tolerance right. of, of, of the stuff you, you know I, I, I remember uh, one of the jobs I had when I was working in my doctorate was I taught a uh, special education seminar for the people who are out student teaching and they would come back to campus and invariably, the first time they would come back, they would be like, wow, I didn't understand this is what the job was. Because I, I ended up getting my doctorate at West Virginia University, and it was a big school in a small town. And so nobody got 
placed in the public schools until their student teaching, and it was sort of a rude awakening for maybe a third of the students. They're kind of like, wow, it's, you know. 8-11 comes pretty early in the morning. <laughs> right. I feel like that also kind of goes back to in, I think it was either personality or social psych, we learned about locus of control and the external and internal locus of control. And I feel like for those who maybe get that rejection and think this is it, that could be kind of the external thinking like, oh, the world is deciding this for me. But if you take that internal and you're like, okay, I'm going to go for a year and I'm going to work and then then I'll apply and I'll have a greater likelihood of being accepted. That's that internal drive. Because if you just get declined and you're like, okay, I'm done, then it's kind of the world's making that decision for you. Mm-hmm. But if you kind of choose it yourself, you can kind of make it happen, I feel like. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's for many students, it's worth the shot the first, straight out of school to go on. Mm-hmm. Maybe you feel like you want to do that. But um, there are a lot of graduate programs that give a strong preference for people who've had it experience. Mm-hmm. This question is kind of a double-edged question. Okay. Um, did you ever feel during, I feel like during maybe your schooling or when you made the decision to go back to school, like you were making the wrong decision? And when throughout your career, if did you feel like you were making the right decision or you've made the right decision? Well, I, I guess the time I, I, I mean, I sort of knew by the time I picked Ed Psych that this, this is really what I wanted to do. Um, the, the real, my real doubts came when uh, it came time to get a job because Ed Psych can go two distinctly different ways. Uh, One is you can teach in a department of education and you can teach this one course over and over and over and over again and train teachers or you can teach in a psychology department and this is one of the things you teach in addition to other things. And I wasn't really sure that I'd make the right decision when I decided to go with the psychology department. But, but I think now I, I, I definitely did. My goal originally was to train teachers. And, and when I was at a smaller uh, institution, I, I did that some. Um, but here at, at JMU, I, don't do, I, I didn't do that very much. So it was definitely, I was sort of an educational psychologist who did lots of different things and then I ended up uh, working with the school psychology program and and I I never had as a goal to train school psychologists but it it, a lot of times school psychologists or graduate students had not had any experience teaching and they really needed they really needed to know what it's like to teach because if you go in and you start consulting with teachers and you don't know what their job is you're not going to be very successful so 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 that was fun Mm -hmm. I remember in class you would give us specific examples too of like students and like teachers and stuff in the last semester you give us examples of students that you interact with and that would help me like visualize Mm -hmm. the actual act what did working as an educational psychologist 
What was the, sorry, let me rephrase this. What was the most valuable lesson you feel like you have learned from being, from working as an educational psychologist? Or a very valuable one, if not the most? Uh, well, well, I think, I think as, a t as a teacher, whatever I would teach, uh, being an educational psychologist make you, makes you uh, think about sort of both sides of the desk. You have to think about what teachers have to do. And there's been a lot of sort of, you know, particularly in Virginia in the last year or so, there's been a lot of really sort of nastiness uh, turned on teachers. You know, why aren't teachers doing this? Why aren't teachers doing this? It's a, it's a pretty demanding job. Um, so, so that's important. But it, but it also, as an educational psychologist, I... I need to know what it, about the diversity among among students, and you know, and that diversity is is talent and background and um, interest and and all all sorts of things that, that we would look at as uh, you know. Um, I'm teaching a course in boredom right now, and there there are a lot of kids who are really bored in school, uh, and and that's an important thing to to think about. There are there are there there's clearly one student in my boredom class who's very bored with the school, with that class. But uh, <clears throat> you know, I I think I think it gives you sort of a perspective on on, on what's going on, and and when I start hearing people say things like. Teachers ought to. I I, I just just want to take my eraser right. and say no no. I, it depends on what you teach, yeah. I, you know, and and who you're teaching, and it, it's. I think it's also hard um, at, from the point of a teacher. Um, did you hear about that teacher who there was like a six year old in her class with a gun and stuff? I think that's also hard because. You're trying to take care of all these kids, but then also watch out for warning signs, but also protect all the kids. And also you're not thinking you have to protect the kids from the other kids. And like, I think as a teacher, from what I, I'm, I've taught kids, but like not as a teacher, obviously, but I think seeing it from the teacher's point of view, it's very interesting because there's so many things that they have to think about from second to second. They have to protect the kids, but also teach them, but also make sure they're engaged, but also the kids with ADHD yeah, and the kids with this and that, you know. I remember uh, this is just a, a, a small example. Um, I was supervising a student teacher, and 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 one of the things about student teachers is, you know, they're doing all the stuff for the first time. They don't have a big bag of tricks that they can go to. And I remember I the student had this lesson on the newspaper, and and she was. Uh, her class was going to look at a, a newspaper and she'd gotten the Richmond Times Dispatch, uh, you know, 30 copies of it. And, and on that particular day, there was a school shooting and that was the headlines. So she said, so she couldn't talk about the news. Her hour-long lesson that she was going to do for me, that she had practiced and, and really crafted, just wasn't going to work. She had to do something. She had to pull something else out, and 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 I think that's just one of those things you don't think about. Just uh, th things can go wrong, or you have a great math lesson, 
and I, I, I had this happen one time, and the governor shows up <laughs> at your school, and your math class is now 10 minutes long because there's going to be an assembly mm-hmm. with the governor. Right. And, and, and you just kind of go, I mean, there, there are all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Or I remember one day when I was teaching kindergarten, uh, there was this big, there was this big uh, overhead light in the in the building in my in my classroom, and I don't know why, but it fell down. Oh my gosh! You know, and, and it fell down between some desks where some kids were working. I mean, it, it it no kid got hurt, but it it was it could have been a disaster, mm-hmm. you, you know. So uh, just. Or you're doing something normally, and there's a, you know, there's a, there's a, you know, an, an incident. Somebody has come into the building, and, mm-hmm. and nobody knows who it is, and this person acting peculiarly, don't know if it's a threat right. or not, and, and, and just everything goes haywire. There's always something. I also feel like with the whole aspect of parents as well, I was speaking with, I was at my roommate's for Easter this past weekend, and um, we were ta- I was talking with her uncle who works in the special ed program at his school, and he was saying how he can implement all this stuff with kids for the whole week, but then if they go home and the parents don't implement it, it might counteract all the stuff they've done. So I think with teachers, too, they have that other added element of like dealing with the parents and how the parents are treating the kids and how if there's that type of what the kids are being taught at home and if the parents have to teach that. I mean, the teachers have to teach it at school. Like maybe the teachers have to teach manners or certain things. Um, and going back to what you were saying before too, I remember in third grade learning about 9-11. And like try, I think that's also interesting, teaching children about very serious topics, but trying to be like, this is serious. But it's also, you don't want to scare them and give them anxiety and crippling anxiety about stuff. I remember in a show I watched the children learned about climate change and the girl started having a panic attack because she was like, the world's going to end. It's like you want to teach them that things are happening, but you also don't want to cause all this panic, which I think is a hard balance to make as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then um, I actually wanted to talk to you also about your dad. I was really in- I'm really interested in how he was a psychologist because um, I feel like there wasn't as big of a psychology presence during that time. Um, I'm just very interested in him during, like becoming a psychologist. And do you think that encouraged you to become a psychologist? Well, I, I certainly... Okay, so uh, what I can say about him is he sort of was on the, the, the beginning of the, the cresting of psychology as a profession. You, you know, I mean... You, you're right. In, in 1900, there were 12 members of the American Psychological Association, and I, don't know, I think there's 65,000 now. Mm-hmm. Um, but it so much um, the psychology became um, useful to the government uh, I mean, the, during the World War. During the World War, and and. For things that you don't think about, like probably the first thing that happened was there was a they used to do these night bombing raids in airplanes, and 
nobody ever did those before. And, you know, airplanes were pretty new and all this sort of stuff. And they would go up in the air at night and they would just crash into each other. <laughs> and and that, that wasn't good. And a psychologist came along and said, you know, if you hold your um, preliminary meetings before they take off under a red light, it won't destroy their night vision. And so it saved lives and airplanes. And, and people said, like, wow, psychologists know stuff. <laughs> um, and then with World War, at the end of World War II, with a lot of returning uh, servicemen getting the GI Bill, you know, they just sort of merrily went off to college, and, and college can be stressful. And, and a lot of these people, a lot of these guys were experiencing PTSD from the war, and they were having a lot of trouble. And, and so uh, psychologists began to uh, do what we think of psychologists doing today. And, uh, and, and that's how my dad, that's what my dad did. He worked with returning. Uh, veterans uh, who were going to the University of Virginia, and uh, so that that's how he got his clinical training as well. As that's the, so interesting. He was kind of like a pioneer. I feel like maybe. But that was the sort of the big explosion yeah. in the numbers of, uh, of of psychologists because you know partially it was people saw a need for psychologists and the government stepped in and funded them. So it, it was. That, that created a whole bunch of uh, psychologists. So interesting. And you know, I grew I grew up with uh, my you know I grew up in a small community, and my father was one of the very few psychologists in that community. So I I sort of was aware of what he did. I mean, I went to school with kids who were my dad's clients, um, and you know, and I, I was aware of you know, sort of crisis com uh, uh, phone calls during dinner time mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So I, I, I was a very much aware of what uh, psychologists did. And, and, and so I think what it helped me do was uh, what he, his profession helped me do was uh, even though I'd had very little contact as an undergraduate with psychology, I, kn I, I knew what it, I knew what it was, mm -hmm. and and so it was relatively easy for me to make the transition. Yeah, and I, and you have a support system too that encourages it. I feel like which helps too because yeah. I feel like a lot of um, men at that time might have not seen psychology as like a good profession. I feel like maybe, but with your dad having it already in his profession, he was able to support it. Well, you know, back when I started being a psychologist, and, and certainly back when my father was a psychologist, it was a male-dominated field. Mm -hmm. So it's, 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 it, 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 it's really about 1975 or so that it became, at that point, sort of evenly split. Yeah. And then now it's... 80%. Yeah, it's more female dominated. Now. So, so uh, school psychology is about 85%. Yeah. Uh, women. And I think there are some men who feel 
uncomfortable with that. Mm-hmm. But, but usually men have a slightly different role in school psychology. Yeah. So it's, it's often the women are working with the preschoolers mm-hmm. and the elementary school kids, and then the tough secondary kids uh-huh. get sent to the guys. <laughs> <laughs> The more nurturing role, a little bit. Yeah, I, th- I, I mean, I, and I think, I mean, that, that's, that's a generalization yeah. that's not accurate in every situation, yeah. of course. But I'm gonna bring us back a little bit, or to what we were talking about a little bit earlier. But how do you feel the way that you approach life now has changed from the first time you graduated college with your degree in music? Do you think that through your education in psychology, you've learned to approach life a different way? Because I feel like through my education here, my brain has kind of changed how I look at life a little bit. What do you think? Okay, well, I'll say this. Psychologists aren't as tough as musicians are. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, mean, when you think about it, uh, we sometimes think of musicians as being, you know, sort of, touchy-feely creative people. But that is what the, you know, it's hours and hours and hours of grueling practice, and then you stand up in a gr- in front of a, gr- a bunch of people, and they applaud or they don't. Mm-hmm. It, it, I mean, it's it's like being constantly, you know, Judged. thumbs up or yeah. thumbs down. <laughs> You're an American down. Idol every day. So, uh, it, it, and, you know, the, Psychologists, we don't have anything like music critics, <laughs> whose whole job is to tell you how bad you did. <laughs> you know, um, so I, I I think that it's a kinder, gentler. Not as competitive, also. I feel like, no. I feel like especially in the music field, especially depending on your instrument and like what's needed. If it's like an orchestra, or depending on what it is, too. Well, if you're going to be a composer, which is what I want uh, wanted to do, you know, there's like one person's going to get the commission and everybody else is not. Yeah. And, and you know, and I, and I started in a little field, in a little area. I, I composed music for, like, PBS series <laughs> and stuff like that. And, and, and there weren't too many people competing for that. But, mm. but, you know, as I thought about moving up the food chain and maybe, you know, maybe maybe at some point going to Hollywood or something like that, then you realize, no, John Williams yeah. is going to get Hollywood. <laughs> One of my friends is in the Marching Royal Dukes, and he was telling me about composition. He was like, you kind of either have to be the best in the world or be like a, a teach music on the side because it's hard because it's so competitive and it's that one person. Right, and, and, and we don't think about it, but there are a lot of areas of music where it's like that. It's sort of like... There are a lot of, cla- I, I, I was a classical musician, so there are a lot of uh, classical violinists. Mm-hmm. But the world really only needs one classical flute player. Right. As, uh, you, you know, and, and, and so, you know, somebody already has that job. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to be a flute player, you're going to be a band director, or you're going to play, you know, you may play in an orchestra, but you're not going to be the, the soloist standing up on the edge of the stage. Because James Galway has that job, you know, and uh, so it's 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 tough. It's it's tough. 
Um, but there, there, there are lots of jobs for psychologists. Yeah. You know. So I music would you music you would say is was your passion or is your passion or one of your passions? Um, do you how do you incorporate music in your life now? Do you listen to it? Do you still play? Um, I, I play a little bit. Is this, what instrument? I, I, I play the piano. Um, I, I have a piano. I keep it in tune, uh, you, you know, and, and, but I can also go t three weeks without playing it mm -hmm. So I, I, I haven't done much practicing for a, a long time. Um, I... Tend music. I just, I just got back uh, from New York, where I, you know, went to the Metropolitan Opera. And oh so, wow! So that, that, I've always wanted to go to the opera. I like, I, I like that. Uh, it's another thing I got from my dad. My my dad grew up as a, a, a on a small farm, in the middle of nowhere, but he listened to the Metropolitan Opera radio broadcasts. Uh, and and became a great fan of opera. And, mm -hmm. and my house growing up was uh, was full of classical music, so um, I do I do that. When when I bought my last car, uh, I said I needed a CD player, and they said, "Oh, we don't have those anymore." And I said, "Well, I'm not going to buy a car that didn't have one." And, and so I, I actually bought a, a a year old car that had one, and I, I listened to music. I listen to music a lot. I've been collecting CDs. I have a 2011 Subaru, and I've been I have like Nora Jones in my car, and it's so nice to have just kind of the CD. Um, I was gonna ask you one more thing about that. Um, oh, I was gonna say, how lucky are we to have Forbes too, that has such beautiful mm -hmm. music all the time. Yeah. And then my last question for you is, what advice do you have for me graduating? Um, in May and for my generation slash my class the graduating class or this generation that I'm in what advice do you have for us in life in the workforce well I you know um, for 10 years I uh, took JMU students uh, abroad and, and we we went to Italy and we would have I would take summer programs abroad, and part of the reason we would do that is so that we could look at a a culture that's fairly familiar and see some really fundamental differences. And one of the fundamental differences between Italian culture and American culture has to do with jobs. Most Italians retire from their first job. They have one job for their entire life. And that's just not the way we do things here. The average, the average American has five careers during their life. I mean, it, I'm not talking about jobs. I'm talking about they're a hairdresser and then they become a surgeon, you know. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's a pretty <laughs> ridiculous one. But... <clears throat> We we just live. There's a there's a sort of a, a view I think that college students have is that I got to find the right job because it's going to be so important, 
and, and, and it is, but it is probably not going to be the job you retire from. And, and I think that's, a, that's something to keep in mind. You, you, you make the best guess you can, and we live in a culture where if that was a bad guess, uh, there's supports for, for making changes. So if <clears throat> I, I uh, when, when we would go to Italy, one place we would go in Italy, there were these two waiters at the restaurant where we fed the students, and they were in their 60s, and they had been with this restaurant since they graduated from high school. And uh, so being a waiter is not like a first job or it's, it's a career. And, and, uh, and if when they were 25 years old, they had decided they didn't want to be a waiter and they had applied for another job, the, the new job would be like, well, what's wrong with these people? Why aren't they sticking with their job? But we don't have that here. So it's perfectly, it's perfectly all right to try something, you know, and, and say, like, I, I think this is worth a shot. I'm going I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to work at it, and, and then it's just fine to say, wow, that's just not what I want to do. I, I, I think that makes sense. Yes, well, thank you so much for talking okay. with me today. Okay. Thank Great. you.